0: Surprise, surprise, we're going to be finishing up the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Not the whole Gospel of Matthew. Come on, let's not get crazy here. So, we've been uh, going through a part of the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 5 to chapter 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. It is one sermon, it's three chapters. And today, we are coming to the final messages of Jesus as he's closing up this message. I was kind of looking, I was wondering, how long have we been in the Gospel of Matthew? And we started in August of 2017. So we are coming up on one year uh, that we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, this message given by Jesus. We've been in that for eight months. For eight months, we've been looking at one sermon. And this is going to be an important fact in the course of today's study, because the story that we're going to be talking about and what Jesus will be sharing, you must understand it comes at the end of a full message It is not just its own statement by itself. I think that's very important in understanding what we're going to be talking about. But all that to say, boy, the picture on the bulletin and the picture on the screen. Photoshop is an amazing program, right? Because you can take anything and, you know, manipulate it and do all that stuff. And so in studying and thinking about this well-known passage of scripture, I came across this image and I was like, yeah, okay, well, there you go it's real. It's real. It's real. I want to tell you the the story of this tiny house. And uh, it's in Serbia. It's built in Serbia and it was built 50 years ago. 50 years ago, there were a group of boys and they decided as they're out on the river, a summer, 50 summers ago, they said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're out here. We're rafting, kayaking, boating. It's great. See that rock out there in the middle of the river? We think that would be the perfect place to put a little house. Of course, young men would think that a rock out in the middle of the river would be the perfect place to put a tiny house. And so 50 summers ago, that's what they did. And it's still standing today. Still to this day, it's standing. But it's interesting because 50 years, that's a long time. And to go through all the things and all the years and the weather and all of that stuff, boy, they picked a really good location as it would turn out. And if you talk to a realtor, they say, you know, there's three really important things about a house. The first is location, the second is location, and the third is location. Location is very important. Consider this. When somebody talks about where they want to live, very rarely do they say, oh, you know what? I could care less where I live as long as my house looks like this. It's usually not that order. It's the opposite order. It's, I want to live in a place that, and then maybe the weather is what they talk about first. Or maybe they talk about uh, good schools or uh, maybe a low crime. Maybe people who don't like to be around a whole bunch of other people, they want to be in a place that's away from other people. So location matters. Others that are like, it freaks me out to be away from other people. I need the hustle and the bustle and the lights and everything. They want to be in a city, so location matters. In all of it, when you think about it, when a person buys a house, I'm still trying to think of a time where a person bought a house and they said, it doesn't actually matter where it is. All I'm really looking for is a house that looks like this. It could be anywhere. I don't think people say that. I think people first start with location and then they worry about the house. And this morning, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus is going to talk about location being critical before we talk about the house. So the title of this morning's message is Location, Location, Location. And we are going to be in Matthew 7, starting at verse 24. Let's pray and uh, we'll start out this morning. Father, as we come before you, we've got the word open and we expect you to do something today. You are God who created everything in huge scale, the scale of the universe, you've created things. And in microscopic and atomic scale, you've created things, things that we can't even perceive. And you know where every single atom is in this entire universe. I thank you that because you have that much oversight and wisdom, I know that you can do great things. Papa, I pray this morning that you would speak into my heart and you would speak into our hearts in a way that as we hear this well-taught passage, we would hear you speaking to us personally. Help us to hear you and help us to know what to do next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm really blessed to teach this passage. I'm really blessed to teach this passage. And some of you are saying it's because you're finally getting to the end of a chapter, which is a small miracle here at the Tellios Christian Fellowship. But, but that's not why, actually. I want to show you some pictures um, of the last week that uh, Don and I and four awesome kids spent. We were at youth camp up in Bandon, Oregon, and uh, the youth group, it's, um, it was a group from a church, a Calvary Chapel uh, up in Beaverton, uh, you know, suburb of Portland. And so they drove down to Bandon, Oregon, and we drove up to Bandon, Oregon. And they brought about uh, 50 kids and about 20 leaders. So they had like 70 people there. And then we had six that came and joined with them. And there's another church that came too, And we had a great time. Now this camp, you may know Applegate Christian Fellowship. This is their camp. So uh, they have a camp right there. It's called a Lake Bradley Christian Camp. And so we were looking to have some of our kids go to camp. And we thought that'd be a great idea. The thing is, The problem was with Applegate Christian Fellowship, they're not a small church. And so it's their camp and they have three weeks of summer camp. One week with 200 plus kids, that's grade school. The next week with 200 plus kids, that's middle school. The next week that's 200 plus kids, that's high school. So they're packed at their camp. And so then the question was, boy, is there any other groups that are coming? And then we heard about Calvary Chapel of Beaverton that comes down and they've got a smaller group, relatively speaking. And so we said, hey, can we be a part of that? And they were so gracious to have us come alongside and it was just wonderful. Um, I think we've got some other pictures here too. Just want to show you we're really struggling. Yeah, it's really rough. It was a rough week. It was a rough week because you get there and you're like, should I do the paddle boats or the canoe? Should we jump on the trampoline out there in the middle of the lake or maybe get on the little blob there and have somebody larger than us jump on the behind and then pop us out into the lake? Or behind the trees is this huge slide that you're on like a little you know bodyboard and you're like and you skip across the lake like a, like a rock as you go fly, you know. On the other side, you can't quite see it. You can take one of the canoes or paddle boats and it's just like, yeah, go for it. And there's a sandy beach and a hill that goes way up. And so to go out there and to have some of the kids go, hey, you know, let's tie up our our canoe here and our paddle boats and let's go up to the top of the hill. Great. Hey, dad, because two of the kids were were our our kids. And so it was like, hey, dad, how about, you know, we roll down the hill. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and so it was great. Rolling down the hill, forgetting where you are and almost rolling all the way into the lake. That was great. The world just kept spinning for a few minutes for me. I realized I wasn't 20 anymore at that point. And there's a few other pictures as well. And, uh, afterwards we took, those are the four kids that we had. We had Acacia and Xander and Jaya and Rebecca and there's Dawn. And we, we had some time afterwards cause we were just, just us, you know, getting back home. We stopped in Bandon and saw the lighthouse and just had a great time. The kids were great. Uh, our kids were great. You would have been so proud of them. And, uh, they, um they were really growing in the Lord. Now, let me show you some more pictures. Yeah, this was the, <laughs> so all the way to the right, there's Quantrell. He's one of the youth leaders. He's a junior high leader. God bless him. And uh, the kids are in our cabin, Xander's in the red shirt, and then uh, five other kids from Calvary Chapel, Beaverton. And it was great. Got to be in a junior high boy's cabin. Man, they asked the best questions. I mean, it's just great questions. What is eternity like? Oh, what about kids when they die? I mean, if they, do, they don't they do know Jesus, how does that work? And like, they were asking awesome questions. It was great. And then they said, hey, during free time, can we get together? Because we have some more questions. And can we invite some other people to come in? Because they had some questions too. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes. It was great. It was wonderful. I want to show you this picture here. Yeah, so they had a, a path that led from the camp. The camp's right on Lake Bradley, and then there's a 15-minute walk from the camp to the ocean. And so we, so what happened on the days that we were there, except the first day when we first got there, but every other day in the morning, it was required. You get up, and there's like a morning Devo, and then you go off to breakfast. Okay, so like morning Devo is like at 7.30. Well, for the camp, there was a Devo where one of the leaders said, hey, listen, we're going to do a beach Devo. So if you want, you're going to have to get up at 6.30. We'll leave from this building at 6.30 and we'll walk uh, 15 minutes to the beach and we'll have a small Bible study and we'll have some music there on the beach and then we'll walk 15 minutes back just in time for the Devo that everybody has to be at at camp. And would you know it that like every day of the camp, you had like 20 kids at least that, I mean, these are kids now. Keep in mind, from 11 years old to 18 years old, getting up early is not like number one, numero uno priority on their list, Right? And to get there and to come to the cafeteria or the meeting hall where we're going to start walking and to see these kids ready to go because they want to go to something that they're not forced to do. So then the last day of camp, it's just a quick day. Friday was quick. You get up, you get up even earlier because you have to clean the cabins and then eat some breakfast, a quick Devo. Everybody gets on the bus, everybody heads out to there, back home. Well, we weren't going to do a morning Devo because the whole schedule was earlier on the last day. But then the kids wanted to go out again to the beach one more time before camp was over on the last day of camp keep in mind they're staying up like there's night games that are going on till like 11 o'clock lights out is like 11 30 and it's like listen we we can't do the six thirty walk to the beach it's got to be earlier 5 30 on the last morning of camp and wouldn't you know it as i get out there there they are 20 plus kids Some had their sleeping bags over them, and like, because it's cold. The sun is not up. And they're ready for a 15 minute walk to go out to the beach so that they can hear Bible study and worship the Lord and then walk back of their own free will. So encouraging. And on this last day, the sun hadn't risen, it was just starting to hit the, the sky and it was just making it pink. And then the the furthest waves would start to get white as the sun was starting to hit it. And would you see the sun start to approach the beach? It was just amazing. And I was asked by the leader, by Quantrell, he said, Hey, you know, Jim, would you mind uh, reading, anybody got their Bible there? And I had my Bible with me. He said, Hey, uh, could you you read the passage for this morning? And I didn't know where he was going. He said, Okay, could you open to Matthew 7, chapter 24, uh, verse 24, chapter 7, verse 24 through 29? It just made me smile because I'm like, in two days, we're going to be here. And so on the beach, just two days ago, I got to read this passage of scripture and the Lord was just going, get excited. My word is real. My word is true. And so here we are, Matthew seven twenty four through 29. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Jesus speaking at the end of his sermon, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. these aren't words of Jesus. This was just the reaction of the people. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Wow. It's such a simple story. It's such a simple story. In fact, as you're hearing this story, you're probably going, oh, that reminds me of um, that, that song. A uh, wise man built his house upon a rock wise man built his house upon a rock. Feel free to join in. A ho- wise man built his house upon a rock and the rains came tumbling down. Falling down. The rains came down and the... Came up. That's right. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. There it is. There it is. Thank you. Good job, team. Yay. Good. That's only verse one. Last service, we had a baby that was here and the baby was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, baby was like, do verse two. Verse two. Here's the quick version. Uh, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. rains came down, floods came up and the house on the sand fell flat. I think is how that goes. And then the third verse is, so go and go ahead and build your house upon the rock. And so maybe as you're hearing this message, you're going, "Oh, that's cool! This is the Bible verse that 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 song um, that, that that reminds me of that song." Well, just keep in mind, the song is actually based off of these verses. It's the other way around. And so we're back to the source material for that song. And I'm sure there's lots of kids in church that have that sang that song. I know I sang that song for sure. So you start to think about this. I mean, just let's really think about this. I saw this picture of a house in Canada, built next to a river. This is not photoshopped. This is real. The river overflowed its banks. It looks like it's being carried by the river, but it's not being carried by the river. This little white house is standing firm. In fact, all the other houses in the neighborhood, the one next to it and the others, they're gone and it's still here. It survived this raging, overflowing, flooded river. And one was asked, hey, what's the deal? You know, how, how is this even standing? The house was built in 1950. And it said the owner at the time anchored the foundations down to the rock. And so when the water arrived, the foundations acted as sort of a dam. The house also survived a fire in 2002 as well. The house still stands huh, where you build your house, location, location, location really matters. I mean, you can have an identical looking house built on a different foundation and it wouldn't have made it. Foundation matters. It really matters. Which then led me to the house that we are looking at, the tiny house in uh, Serbia on the river there. I want you to see what happens because it's on a river. This is that same house that's on the cover of your bulletin. And the rains came down and the floods came up but the house on the rock stood firm because it's still standing. Yes, you'll lose a shingle here or there. You may have to repaint it or restain it and do a couple things, but the house isn't going anywhere. There's something to be said about the foundation that you build a house upon. And I'm sure by now you realize the house Jesus is talking about is the house of your life. The house of your life can stand or fall but it has actually very little to do with the house itself. It has everything to do with the foundation the house is built on. What is underneath the house is far more important than the house itself. Yet, don't we live in a world where it's like external stuff is so important. Got to look good. Hey, throw another coat of paint on the house. That's fine. But that's not what's going to keep your house when the flood comes. The paint, the extra paint, that perfect tint of color that you were looking for is not going to matter one ounce when the river overflows. You know, should we get the should we get the fifteen year shingles or should we get the thirty year shingles? When your house is half submerged, that's not the issue. But yet a lot of wringing of hands and oh I don't know what I should I should get this fine detail and this thing. And I think in the same way that people can get obsessed by their house and the small minutia of their house, what do you think? These drapes or these drapes? The flood's not going to care what your drapes are. What's going to matter is what your house is built on. And because we can live in a society that is so superficial, we can forget that the whole point of our life is not our life itself, but who our life is built on. But we're not encouraged to look on who your life is built on. We live in a world, we live in a country that is so obsessed with the external that it's like, hey, you know, I've kind of put three coats of paint on this. I think this is the perfect shade. It's not going to matter when the river rises. See, what is it going to be like for that person who cared more about the house and didn't even think about the location? Well, Jesus says it in the next two verses, 26 and 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Okay, well, it doesn't take very long in this story. Even a child can understand, wait, I think I want my house to be built on a rock. Great. You get it. You get the point. The question is, what does that actually look like? What does that look like? Just because you understand what this passage says doesn't mean that you're doing it. And I think that's Jesus's point here. Jesus is saying that there's wisdom and it's wisdom is living in the light of God's word. Not the light of popular culture or what the latest fad is. No, if you want to build your life, your house on something solid, then you have to build it on something that will last longer than this short life. And you know what? Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's the guy who came, died, and dying is no big deal. People can die. Rose again like he said he was going to. Okay, I think I'm going to listen to that guy. I think I'm going to listen to the guy who predicted his death, burial, and resurrection and did it. I think I'm going to believe that guy. That's who's speaking right here. And Jesus says, who you built your house on matters. Will you build it on the word of God? And will you do it? If you do, your life will be sound and solid. Now, did you notice that the exact same thing happened to both houses? I think with this story, there's a, there's a lot of similarities with these two houses or these two, these two different people and what they did. I believe that as we look at this story here, the, the way the rain came, in my ESV it says the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. It's the same thing that happened to both houses. What does this tell me? This tells me that whether your, your house is built on the foundation of Jesus, your life is built on Jesus, or your life is built on something other than Jesus, here's what this passage tells me. You are still going to have storms in your life. This goes against the false teaching that, oh, I'm a Christian and now every day is just going to be sunshine and rainbows. I'm never going to have another challenge in your life. Uh, Jesus says that you will. He says that you will. So when it happens, you won't be surprised, but you will have peace. Why am I going to have peace if it's going to happen? Because you're not going to go anywhere because you're built on a rock. The rock's not moving. So the house on the rock is not moving. See, Christian, you've been told the truth by Jesus because he wants you to have peace. And so we have a picture of a house that's built on a firm foundation that has lasted half a century well, hold on a second. Can't I just believe that Jesus was a nice guy? Can't I believe that Jesus was a real person? Can't I believe that Jesus came and died on a cross and still be on that foundation? Not necessarily. You can know all the Bible stories. You can come to church for decades and not be a Christian. You can sing songs. You can know worship songs. You can lead worship songs. I'm not saying anything about Hakim. I'm just saying you could lead worship songs. You could preach messages and not be a Christian. Jesus is saying, don't be fooled by the house. Look at the foundation. Think about it. Most houses, the foundation, generally speaking, is not exposed. You just see a house and then there's shrubbery and decorations and... Not decorations, what do they call Landscaping, right? Landscaping and... Uh, And you usually don't see the the foundation of a house. When will you know what kind of foundation a house is built on? When a storm comes. That's when you'll know. And so Jesus asked this really important question. And I ask you this question too, as Jesus has said it. You'll see it on the screen here. It's from Luke chapter six, parallel passage of the same story. Jesus asked the people that were around him, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why are you calling me your master when I tell you to do something and you're like, yeah, I don't think so. It's a great question that Jesus asks. You shouldn't call Jesus your Lord if you don't do what he says. You shouldn't call yourself a Christian if when you look at God's word, you go, I really like Jesus because he's nice with kids and he likes sheep. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. I like the second half of the Bible. But boy, the first half is just really like, it's crazy, wrathful and like God's really mad sorry, but you don't understand the word. It's the same God. You know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Who sent Jesus to this earth? God did. God, the father, God hasn't changed. God loves people. And so Jesus is saying, why would you call me your master? If you're not going to do what I've told you. And then he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and does them. That's the key. That is the key part of what Jesus is saying. Hearing is not enough. You can hear years of messages and never do what Jesus says. The person who hears and does them, I will show you what he is like. Jesus is going to tell a story in Luke. Here it is. Sounds familiar. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against the house, uh, broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. I'm going to show you a picture. And this is um, in Texas. Maybe hard to see. The house is down here in the bottom left of the picture. This neighborhood is right on the beach there. It's gone. Uh, this had happened. Something similar happened. Uh, there was uh, Hurricane Rita had happened earlier. And so then this house was rebuilt in 2005. And when it was rebuilt, it wasn't built the way it was built the first time. It was built differently. And this time the owner, I think we have another picture we can put up too, built the house elevated. So it's, it's up on stilts, but that wouldn't have been enough because other houses nearby were also elevated. That's not why this house is still standing. I think we have another picture. This house is standing to this day. Neighborhood's been built around it, and I'm sure they've taken the model of building from this house because it goes down another 10 feet below. So it's 14 feet off the ground and 10 feet below, anchored down. The life that you live needs to be anchored on something solid. It needs to be on the solid word of God. You know, I mean, one house and hundreds in the neighborhood are destroyed. I'm sure anybody else that built a house said, I want to know why yours is still standing. And this is the truth, Christian. When you go through a hard time and you withstand it, not because you're so awesome, but because Jesus is not moving. Don't be surprised when people come up to you and they ask you this question, how in the world did you get through that crazy, heartbreaking, painful situation? Your answer is not going to be, well, because my house is so awesome. It's not the house. It's the foundation. Jesus gets the credit. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about how important it is to have wisdom, knowing God's word and following God's word. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom, a house is built and by understanding, it is established. It is anchored. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And then Proverbs 9, 1, it says, wisdom has built her house and has hewn her seven pillars. So, you want to be wise? You build your house on the rock. You want to be a fool? You build your house on the sand. Whoa, Jim, you're getting offensive. No, I'm just telling you the words Jesus just said. Jesus said, it's like a man, a foolish man, who built his house on the sand. So where you build location, location, location is so important. I want to show you a picture of a house. I've got so many house pictures this morning. It's crazy. We're just going to get all the house pictures in one message. Here they are. All right. So this this picture right here, really nice house. And, uh, you know, we've got the landscaping. What did I call it before? Decorations. You got the landscaping. It's painted and all that. And it's got like a red roof. You can't quite see it from here. Multiple story, uh, you know, a little under a million dollars, uh, but at that point, who's counting, right? So, and it's uh, in Malibu, and uh, let's look at an aerial view so you can see how close the beach is. So it's the house in the white uh, right there, circled in the white or circled in the white box. The beach is right there, so it's beachfront property. Amazing house. Now we can go back to that first picture. There, as you're looking at this house, it looks solid. That house looks solid, but something has gone horribly wrong and you're like storm came right storm probably came and just ripped the top of that thing off no 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 actually no it's still there it's still there in the same location don't understand what what could have been wrong well let me let me read you an article here a dream beach house has turned into a nightmare for a couple this beach house was being rented out the couple lived in missouri And so this beach house is being rented out. And as this beach house is being rented out, there are folks that are going there and they begin to share some concerns with the owners. The owners have not been to the house yet. They've seen pictures of the house being built and all of that. It all looked great. And then through a third party, um, they ended up having it rented out as a beachfront rental. But then word came back from some of the renters that something is dreadfully wrong. The owners couldn't believe it. And they've flew there. I'm sorry, I said it was Malibu. I, I take it back. It's actually in Florida. In Florida, they went there to this beach house in Florida and they realized a horrible error had happened. Let's go to that other map. The house was built where the white box is. The property they own is the red box. The house was built on the wrong lot. I like to ask people in construction and in the trades, hey, what's your biggest mistake? And then I love telling this story because it's ridiculous. (laughs) This happened in 2014. This is not like a long time ago. Could Could you imagine? You show up and you're like, what? How do you sort this out? That's somebody else's property who also hasn't been there in a while. Could you imagine that person? They show up and they're like, who put a house on my property? Does location matter? Yes, location matters. Because it doesn't matter how great your house looks on the outside. If you've put it in the wrong location, it's wasted. Think about this how many people are so concerned with the outward appearance? And so, in a sense, they are like, well, I got to do some maintenance on the house. And so they take care of their lives and their finances and they take care of their health and they take care of all these things. And those aren't bad. Don't get me wrong. Those aren't bad things. But if you're focusing on the house first and you've forgotten about the foundation, you forget that when you die in this short life, there is eternity for everyone. And you spent the short time in this life to focus on the house and you didn't even consider where you were putting it, Jesus says that person is a fool. I don't say these words with joy. I'm saying these because I hope that someone who's building their life in the wrong location will stop for just a half a second and say, I'm going to die someday. And then what? And then what? Because I can tell you that in eternity to come, I don't think we're going to be looking back and going, yeah, I really had a pretty sweet life there back on earth. I don't think that's going to be the most pressing thing. See, where a person spends eternity is based on where they want to spend eternity. Everybody will end up in eternity exactly where they wanted to be. Don't ever forget that. Do not ever blame God for sending someone to hell. God doesn't send anybody. He gives us free choice. And if a person says, I don't want God, God will honor with a broken heart their decision. Don't blame God when people make decisions. But let's not talk about people. How about we just make it personal and we talk about you. I talk about me. Jesus is saying these things because it's a parable. What do you do with the parable? You put that story here and then you take your life and you put it next to the parable and you have to figure out with a parable, who are you in the parable? Who are you? You have to figure that out for yourself. This message isn't for anybody else. It's for you. This message is for me. Where are you in this story? Maybe for you, it's like, well, Jim, I've been coming for years to church. Yeah, me too. Me too. And for half of my life, I wasn't a Christian. I was raised with the... um It wasn't really spoken of much. It was just kind of like, hey, we're going to church. And I remember going to church from a young age. But I don't remember clearly being spoken to me that I had to make a decision myself for Jesus. I just figured, hey, I'm raised in a Christian family. We go to church every Sunday. Therefore, I am a Christian. No, that's not true. I wonder... How many people have thought it's all the things I do that makes me a Christian? No, it's what Jesus did on the cross. And whether you've accepted that, that makes you a Christian or not. You know, um, Jesus said this about his followers, sheep, not wolves, sheep. Here's what Jesus said. John 10:27. my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And look at this. They follow me. Following is an action. You have to want to do it and then you do it. I think about those junior high and high school kids at camp last week. 5.30 came early on the very last morning of camp. And even though they were like, you know, bags under their eyes and like hairs everywhere and sleeping bag over them as they're like walking to the beach, their body wasn't quite there yet, but their spirit, they wanted to go. They wanted to go and meet with Jesus. And maybe that's how you feel sometimes where you're just like, I don't know if I've got this in me, Lord, to to follow after you, but I really want to. You know what? If you desire to and you ask God to, he will give you the strength to do what's right. And yeah, it may not look pretty as you're trying to do it, but if you have a heart that wants to, you just ask God to give you the strength and he will do it. The question is, do you want to? That's really what it comes down to. Because if you don't, God's not going to go against your will. And as I'm looking at this story here, I want you to understand the proof of a Christian, like the, the way you can tell like who's a Christian and who's not a Christian, just look to see if they're being obedient to what God said. Look at their life and see if they're being obedient. So forget everybody else for a second. Just look at yourself. I'm not asking if you know about Jesus. I'm asking if you know Jesus so well that you're willing to follow him. Are you willing to do what he says? I want to show you some things. If, if you weren't here last week... Um, we talked about obedience and obedience is you don't obey God to be saved. You don't, I want to make that so clear. You're not obeying God so that you will be saved. The saved obey God. People who are saved want to obey God. And I thought about this and here's three statements that may help you understand obedience. Obedience is again, not, you're not getting saved by obedience, but a Christian wants to be obedient. Obedience is the proof, not the means of salvation obedience is the evidence not the earning of salvation it's not like god i'm gonna do a bunch of good things for you so the scales tip so that i earn salvation nope obedience is not that's not what it's for it's evidence here's the other one obedience is the confirmation not the cost of salvation the cost of salvation was paid by jesus on the cross not by you and i so the question for you personally is are you being obedient to what god has said Can you hear his voice like he's encouraging you to go talk to somebody? You're just like, I don't want to. I just have to say, if you know God's speaking to you and you're trying to find all these excuses to not do the thing God's telling you to do, that's not being obedient. And it should grieve you, like it should break your heart. Another sign of a child of God is their heart is broken when they grieve God, when they do what he has not told them to do or they're not doing the things he said to do. See, it's the difference between getting caught. Some people are sorry because they got caught. That's not what we're talking about. A child of God has sorrow because they have grieved the person who has never stopped loving them ever. Why would I do something against God who has only loved me from before I was created and He has made a way for me and He has given me Jesus? Why would I do anything against Him? The child of God's heart is broken. I have to ask you the personal question. Does your heart break when you break God's guidance and direction? Because if it doesn't, you may want to check your foundation. I'm not here to say whether you're saved or not. That's not my place. I'm just here to tell you what Jesus said. And if you're saying, hmm, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The Word of God, it's whatever. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a book. No, it's living. It's active. It's alive. It's God's words to you and to me. So I think about people in this life. Some people are building some really awesome houses. And what I mean is their lives. They're building some really awesome houses that look great, but it may not be on anything except sand. So, question when is the storm coming? You know, can I get a weather forecast? Like, are we saying like three days out, five days out, a year out? Well, when this, when this, when this uh, passage is taught and I've taught it this way too, like, you know, if you're just kind of looking at this just section and you're forgetting that it's the end of a message, you can look at it and go, Hey, storms come in life. And as storms come in life, you stick to Jesus and you trust him. You're a believer and the storms will come and the storms will go, but you will still be standing because you're built on a rock. Now, do I believe that that is a true statement in the word of God? Absolutely. Totally believe that's a true statement but I don't think that's the primary thing that Jesus is trying to get across here. Because the verses we read just before, last Sunday, do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that on the last day, on the last day, people will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we sing in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do amazing things for you? Didn't we prophesy? People are going to come to Jesus on some last day And Jesus is going to say this to them, I never knew you. Those people will have a house that looks so good on the outside and and it's going to be full of a lot of religious things. Maybe it'll be a lot of church going or Bible teaching or camp going or volunteering or donation giving. And Jesus is making clear to them they thought by doing all these things they were earning salvation and Jesus is going to inform them on that last day I never knew you we never had a relationship never had a relationship you know why? because they got the foundation wrong I don't want anybody in the sound of my voice to get their foundation wrong and my heart is far uh, smaller than God's heart because he doesn't want anybody to get their foundation wrong The day that Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about the house and the flood and all that coming, what what flood? What is this flood that's coming or this great storm that's coming? There's a judgment day for every human being. And on that day, every person is going to have to answer to the judge, to God. And here's the truth. I know that I have wronged God. I have wronged others. I, I know that I'm not perfect. And so when I, when Jim comes before God, the judge, the judge is going, to re, is going to inform me of all the things that I am guilty of. And you know what? He's going to be 100% right. And then comes the verdict where I'm going to have to pay for all the things that I've done wrong in this life. And at that point, well, I guess the storm washes Jim away. Oh, wait. Because next to me is my advocate, Jesus, the Son He's the son of the judge. That's pretty convenient. And he says, judge, dad, everything you've read about Jim is right. He is guilty. He has done those things. He has wronged you. And yes, there must be a payment. But I've paid for it for him. And the reason the judge will then say accepted is because I have acknowledged that Jesus did all the work. And that I haven't done the work. He did the work on the cross. And I accepted him. And I believed it. And so then I can build a house on a solid foundation. And I'm not afraid of going before the judge. I don't have this fear of, oh no, how's it going to turn out? Honestly, I'm going to tell you this. You're going to, at some point in time, breathe your last breath. And in the next instant, you're going to see God face to face. Will you have to pay yourself for all the things you've done because you haven't accepted Jesus? Because that's the only other alternative. Either you pay for everything and you can't. Eternal separation from God. Or you've accepted Jesus and what he did on the cross and Jesus steps in and says, no, dad, I've paid for him. And so then Jesus accepted all of my guilt and shame and I'm righteous before God. That is an unfair exchange but I'll take it. And I have taken it. Have you? You know, this idea of the rains came down and the floods came up. This is no new story. In the very first book of the Bible, the rains came down and the floods came up and there was a box. Let's call it a salvation box. If you want to be saved from the rains and the floods, all you have to do is go in through this box, into this box. And the box had one door on it. And the world, anybody in the world could have come in through the one door on this box and been saved from the rain and the flood. And if you know what I'm talking about, that box I'm talking about is the ark. Because judgment was coming. Where was judgment coming? For the whole world. Well, I guess the whole world is toast. No, anyone could have walked up the ramp and into the one door on the ark. And the saddest part of that story is only eight people were on the ark. Eight people and the animals. There was plenty of room on the ark for more people. But people made a choice to say, no, I'm not going to go through that one door. That's so narrow-minded. That's so... No, I I can do this myself. What rain? There's no rain. There's no storm coming. Noah, you're a fool. And Noah and his family went in and the door was sealed and then the rains came down and the floods came up. And anyone that wasn't inside that salvation box, the ark perished. I share this to you because I don't want anyone to find themselves on that day, that day, face-to-face with God, where they realize I've wasted the short life that I had because I built it all on sand. How can you get right with God? You acknowledge that first you're wrong and second you acknowledge that you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. You humble yourself. You can't be saved be a Christian and have that pride. When you're saved, you come humbly before God and go, God, I just, I ask for salvation. I ask and I accept what Jesus has done on the cross. Let's read the last two verses. And then I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here. And these verses will go fast because you see the response to this amazing message that Jesus gave verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, not just the one about the house on the rock, I mean the whole sermon, the crowds were astonished. The Greek word there means basically hit in the head. Like their minds were blown. Their minds were, because they're listening to a guy speak in such a way. Look at this, verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. These the scribes would say, hey, this other scribe said, or Abraham said, or this person said, Jesus comes to these people and he gives a message and he says, you have heard it said in the Old Testament, but I say to you, I say to you, who is this guy that he's speaking? He's not speaking for God, he's speaking as God. The people recognized at the end of Jesus' message, this guy is saying things as God himself. And their minds were blown because they're going, God is here with us. Do you recognize that Jesus is God? He's not some nice guy, he's God. And when you realize the authority with which Jesus speaks, it should make you go, listen, I don't necessarily like what you're saying, but I recognize who you are and you're an authority way above me, Jesus, and I will do what you have said. You want to be obedient. Church, let's bow our heads for just a moment. Worship team's going to come on up. Jesus didn't waste any words in this sermon. He could have left out this story about the house on the rock and the house on the sand. He could have just ended it a few verses early, But Jesus doesn't waste words, which means that his final closing parable is important. I would even say that his final parable is summarizing a lot of the three chapters we've been reading over the last eight months. If you get the foundation wrong, it doesn't matter how nice the house is. Hey, let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a second. You are not being condemned by God. You are being told in God's word by Jesus as he spoke it that you might be on the wrong path. I think that's a loving God who would warn people. I think an unloving God doesn't tell anybody they're on the wrong path. I think it's a loving God who would actually tell people and then would tell them how to get on the right foundation. I want you to recognize this morning, God loves you. That's why he warns you. And so if you've been hearing the message and you're saying, I don't know that I'm a Christian. Well, do you want to be? Because if you want to be, I'm going to tell you this morning, God will accept you as his child and no one will take you out of his hand. No storm will take your house away from the rock because the rock is holding on to you. As we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've been hearing the message today, you realize that you need Jesus and you want Jesus. You want Him to be your foundation. Then I would ask that you would raise your hand. Is there anybody in here this morning? I see your hand. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else? I see your hand. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Pray this prayer to Jesus who loves you. Loves you. Pray something like this to him Jesus, I need you. I want to build my life on the rock. I am wrong. You are right. I believe, Jesus, you died for me, and I believe you rose from the dead for me. I believe, Jesus, that you are God. And, Jesus, I accept you as my rock, my Savior, my Master. Jesus, I love you. Hmm. Father, we thank you for your work this day. And for those who have raised their hand and made a commitment to you, it is just the beginning. And yes, the rains will come. And yes, the storms will come. And yes, the river will rise. But their house will not be moved. They may lose a few things that they didn't need off the front porch and maybe a few shingles will come off, but the house isn't going anywhere. I pray for each one of them that when the challenges of this life come, that they would remember where they are built on Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't want to spend eternity without them, so you came and you died for them. How great you are we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you ask Jesus into your heart, it's the biggest decision of your life. It's an eternal decision. This is no small thing. There's no bigger decision you'll make in your life. If you did, please let somebody know. There'll be a few people standing over here who love to pray with you. If there's others that you came with, please let them know. But don't leave here without telling somebody. You can't keep the greatest decision of your life a secret, okay? So tell somebody for sure. Hey, let's stand. If you're able to, let's stand. Let's sing a closing song to our Lord. He's our firm foundation. God bless you.